Welcome, everybody. Welcome. I'm Shaylin Smith. And I'm Aubrey Byer. And you're listening to The The Resolute. So, I have a question for you. Okay. Where have you been that's been the highest elevation that you've been at? Uh, Probably when I went to Denver. I went to Rocky Mountains National Park. Wait, yeah, that's what it's called, right? I think so. I was just like lost my mind for a second there. (laughs) Uh, Rocky Mountains National Park. And we drove up to the highest point on the road, which I believe is like 12,000 miles or high. 12,000 feet? Yeah. I know what you meant. 12,000 feet. That's pretty. That is very high. It was. And I was pregnant at the time. Not super far. Yeah. Like probably, well, five months, maybe six months, pr- pretty decently far yeah. along. Anyway, but you know how it's like all the, uh, what altitude sickness or whatever. Yeah. And it was, it was a strange sensation, like getting up there and I was like, oh yeah, I can feel like the lack of oxygen. Like Ooh. we did not walk around really. Cause it was kind of a little bit concerning, but yeah. yeah. Man. Did you feel like breathless at all when you were up there? Yeah. Yeah. Like I couldn't catch my breath and yeah, it was super strange. Very strange sensation. That really is. I mean, I've been, I've been at pretty high elevations skiing right, and things like that. But as far as just like putzing around, like for, from the right. base elevation, it's right. only 2,000 feet. Oh. Like the base of yeah. Whistler is only 2,000 yeah. feet above sea level. That makes but sense. But the city or like the town of Aspen is 8,000 okay. feet. And that's probably the highest elevation. And I got, um, we were there for a family reunion years ago, probably nine years ago. And, oh man, there was this day where we had all these events throughout the day. And we were, we had this gathering where we were having like wine and snacks. And then we had this, it was like all day long. It was super hot summer day. And, um... I just didn't hydrate enough Mm. and had had like wine throughout the day and then like heavy foods and things like that. And by evening I was, I woke or like, I think we all went down to this campfire and I was suddenly feeling so ill. Mm. I'm like, I'm just going to go lay down. I don't feel very good. And then I woke up hours later and was vomiting and not from like alcohol consumption. You know, it was, it was just like, I felt awful and I just felt terrible all throughout the night off and on and then started to feel a little bit I was like really queasy the next day just because of the elevation I think yeah and I think dehydration accompanied with that right but that was my only like taste of you know altitude illness right um when my daughter and I went to go visit my sister in Wyoming in the spring they're at pretty high elevation. Yeah. They're over 4,000 feet. And uh, Sis was really not feeling well at the end of the trip. Because I think it can take a while, you know, before yeah. your body's like, I'm not getting what I need. Right. And um, that poor thing, it was, we were in the airport and she was just felt awful Terrible. for hours. Yeah. And, oh. But, man, I think about... Um, we have for our regional championships for for tumbling and trampoline it's in utah mm-hmm. this year 
And the last time it was in Utah, everyone really struggled with, like, they were just exhausted. Okay. And so I was thinking about that a lot. And I was realizing they're at elevation. Right. And we're at sea level. And I think just that difference can make it harder. Right. Yeah. And so knowing that now... We're just going to do more cardio and things like that to do what we can to prepare. But I think that should help a little bit because we're not there very long. So hopefully that pre-training. It won't take that effect as much on you. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. But today we're going to be talking about Mount Everest. Okay. And we have a multi-parter because... um, The first, this episode is going to be a lot of information about the mountain. It's a really amazing mountain. And, um, and then the next episode is a survival story on said mountain. Okay. So Mount Everest, as we all most likely know, is the tallest mountain above sea level. Mm -hmm. The tallest mountain in the world is actually, um, on Hawaii. Mauna Kea. Mauna Kea. Nice. Yeah, and that one is super tall, but it starts below right. sea level from its base. Such a weird thing to think about. Isn't it? I know. My mind is like, wait, what? Okay. I know. Huh, cool. And Mount Everest, it actually sits on like a plateau mm-hmm. of mountains, but in the Himalayas. Um, but it's definitely the highest peak, the highest elevation above sea level. Right. And um, it sits directly on the border of Tibet to the north. I have, oh, we'll use this map in a little minute. I, I made Chaylin a map because it kind of helps, like, <laughs> with part of this. <laughs> okay. Um, so Tibet is to the north. On this map, I think it would be that way. Okay. And so there's, when people summit Mount Everest... There's ways that you can get to it from the north side, but the most popular route is definitely the south, and the most commercialized is the south side coming in from Nepal. Okay. And the reason for that is there's a, it's called a coal, which is um, where like two mountain peaks meet kind of like a valley, Mm -hmm. and um, it creates kind of this flat area that sometimes can be easier to navigate and traverse um i don't know if it's much easier in this situation but um they've found like ways to get up through that side the himalayas are this i thought that they were the longest mountain range in the world just in my mind because it's i mean it spans all of india Right. And then some. Oh, and, yeah. Um, but it's actually the sixth longest range. The Andes in South America okay. being the longest. And yeah. then when I looked at that, I was like, oh. Yeah. Wow. I need to brush up on my geography. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I know the Andes are a cool mountain range, too. I'd like to. There's just a lot going on because it's, yeah, they're huge, right? Like, yeah. Oh, ma- I mean. Or long. Extensive. you would say yeah. that, I guess. But. Very extensive. So the name the name Mount Everest is very English. Um, it had 
and still has a variety of names by the local people. And especially when you have, you know, different nations bordering it, you're going to get a really mixed bag of what each community, each tribe calls it, each nation is going to be naming it. Um, In Tibet, one of the more um, heard names is, and I hope I say this right, but um, Chomolungma, Chomolungma, and it means Holy Mother, Hmm. and truly the mountain is viewed by all locals as sacred right it they it is and it deservingly so i mean it's an incredible the range itself is incredible it is on really high up on my list to see the himalayas i don't feel like i need to go yeah (laughs) personally but i would love to just stand in awe yeah of the mountain range in nepal for many many years the nation did not allow any foreigners in oh interesting and so i know i like up until somewhat recently uh, in like the 80s 90s they or i think 80s is when they started letting interesting like officially like i think they would let people in a little bit but now it's a much more open yeah uh, nation where they're letting people in more easily but so that made it hard to find for me to find any information on what they called the mountain right because there was just so many there's so many different nicknames for it too you know so i i really couldn't find anything but most of the meaning or like i found several but one i'm not even gonna try to pronounce those ones but also i don't know how valid that is as far as it being wide ranging with right. the nation of Nepal. Okay. So, but most of them, they mean Holy Mother, okay. um, Holy Mother Peak or Holy Mountain. Okay. How it got its name in 1849, British surveyor Andrew Waugh, he was the British surveyor, surveyor general of India. And so that's why, you know, right. um, English occupied india um and he named it everest after sir george everest who the way that he would actually say his name was everest okay and i always thought it was fun when you hear um like new zealanders you know right mount everest yeah but they're actually saying they're saying correctly yeah that's funny i know um and sir george everest was andrew was predecessor okay so he was the the surveyor in um, India at the, before Andrew. And so he named it as like a tribute to him. And when Sir George had seen that he had put in this request to name the mountain that, he said no. He did not want it named after him. That's good. That's and, good. Right. He said it needs to be it, the name, like the name Everest can't be said or written in many of the local languages right and he was really against that he was for the the local people and it should be named after something that they attribute to the mountain right and andrew went ahead anyway 
and wow. got it named after him. That is so fascinating because you're like ridiculous? doing this thing. You're like, I want to honor this person. And then they adamantly tell you, actually, that would not be honoring to me. And then you do it anyway. It's like literally what's the point at that Isn't point? Isn't that bizarre? Like just name it after yourself or something if you want to go that route. But like, I don't know. I know. What like a he slap in the face. Declined. Yeah. And recommended that it be named right. a local name. I didn't know that. That's so I know. fascinating. That's interesting. It is. And it's kind of non-surprising with, yeah. you know. Absolutely. Very classic. White Europeans coming in and just... I've always wondered that, like, why Mm. aren't things just named, like, what the people call them, you know what I mean? I wonder that all the time. It's so weird. I know. Um, In 1960, the Nepali government coined the name, so, I mean, they had many names before that it was come to be known, you know, worldwide as Mount Everest. Um, The Nepali government coined the name Sagar Matha which means goddess of the sky hmm. or head in the great blue sky, okay. which I love because that's I mean, cool. that's the head in the great blue sky for me is the most accurate description yeah. for many reasons. Like one, it's like this, you know, mass so high up it's in the clouds. Yeah. But also when you look at it, because it sits on that plateau, it reminds me of like a bodybuilder that has like these broad oh, yeah. shoulders and this like tiny, no neck, right. just this head. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It looks like there's a small regular man coming out from his shoulders. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's, there's not, you know, there's other peaks that definitely have a more dramatic appeal to them. Right than Mount Everest, but um, it is by far the tallest mountain. In 2022, China and Nepal agreed. Uh, they There was a lot of disagree, uh, disagreements on the official height. And it's been measured many times over decades and decades. But the reason there's such disagreements is because you have all that snow sitting on top right you have ice below that so what do you measure it from the snow point do you measure it from the rock point how do you go about it but they've agreed that its official height is 8,848.86 meters which equates to us americans as 29,031.7 feet that's insane Twenty nine thousand that's so i didn't i guess i didn't quite realize like i knew it was the biggest mountain all that but dang it's when so here we have mount rainier Mm -hmm. which sits at fourteen thousand four hundred. Oh really i thought it for some reason i thought it was like two thousand feet (laughs) i'm an idiot i don't know (laughs) maybe two thousand meters no maybe you know what uh, no, I'm a fool. Um, <laughs> That's so funny. That is really funny. Yeah, 14. Um, okay, 14,000. So now imagine uh, in where we live, I know I've talked about this on here before, but Mount Rainier, you can see it from yeah. Seattle. You can see it from Literally Vancouver. We can see it from yeah. the ocean. We yeah. can see this mountain. Yeah. It's massive and it looms over everything. Yeah. And now imagine mount rainier with another one stacked on top right that is mount right. everest. that's oh, still yeah. shorter than mount everest 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like wild to to think think about. about. Yeah. And I know, um, shout out to Rachelle Bobelli, if she's listening, um, and Julia, because I know I've given them this shout out before, but they have both summited Mount Rainier. And I forgot to say Mount Everest. (laughs) I was like, like, Jay's. Um, which is <laughs> that's still though that's hardcore. incredible and there was a lot of like training there's yeah. so much because that's so high I mean 14,000 you and I were talking you were at 8,000 feet mm-hmm. which there is 12,000 or something oh oh yeah 12,000 yeah um and then to do this rigorous climb even yeah. above that well yeah like you get into the whole mountaineering thing which is not something I personally have an interest in doing. Right. Um, it's very, very challenging, mm-hmm. you know, because just the amount of gear that you have to take with you. Right. And then because of, you know, the oxygen levels are yeah, so the, different. I mean, it's so Yeah. And then the cold. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And so I think of feat. them and like, I know, I know what went into their climb. Right. And what they had to prepare themselves for. And then I imagine a mountain on top of that. Right. And because uh, how long, do you know how long they did their hike or their climb for? Do you know how many oh, days? I don't. I'll have to ask her. But yeah, because it, it, it was days, I'm sure. Yeah. But then you think about like, yeah, the whole other mountain on top. And I guess too, though, like, you know, you're starting this higher yeah, yeah. So, but still, that's, I know. wow, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So, um, main, <laughs> I was reading what rock mainly makes up the mountain, and there was that was like way more information than I was prepared for. Yeah. So it's made up of blah 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 and marble. Okay. <laughs> That's what I gathered from that. It's made out of a lot of marble, different types of marble, and other things. <laughs> right, yeah. And that's as much as I was like, I can't go down this road. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah. And it sits mainly in the troposphere. Okay. But it is so tall that it pierces the stratosphere. What? Yeah. I didn't know that's that. That's where weather balloons are. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. I know. Wow. And what's even more in insane is there's, I don't know if there's other varieties, but there is a variety of geese that fly over Mount Everest when they <laughs> migrate. And they're called bar-headed geese. And geese are awesome. I'm like, I love that. Who are you? That's so <laughs> great. That's birds wild. are Birds are amazing, though. There's like... Oh, that's so crazy. Yeah. I didn't know, I know that either. Isn't that wild? Wow. Awesome. <laughs> that's how high. <laughs> so on the Nepali side is mainly where most of our information is going to be based in talking about. Um, because that's where the Everest base camp sits. And it sits at the base of the Kombu Glacier. This is a massive glacier and it's a really um treacherous area because it will shift and it's um this section of it is called the kombu ice fall and it will shift three to four feet per day oh wow down that is so much more than i would have guessed (laughs) 
that's a lot, you know? Yeah. And when you look at this, I watched some videos of, like, drones flying over. Because I, um, in preparing for this, these next two episodes, I listened to two books and then read several articles. But it's hard to picture it. Right. Even though both men in their books described really well, I wanted to see, like, what what is this? What does this right. look like? Like, right. I can't imagine it and this terrain is unbelievable it's just especially if you're getting like a fresh snow on top because it's all craggy yeah you have these deep 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 crevasses and there's areas where there's a space a a space no wider than a foot that you're traversing across and it looks like there's other safe places to step, but if you take one wrong step, you could be stepping through just a layer of snow Ugh. that has accumulated and easily fall. Ugh. And you clip, people have gone ahead and secured ropes to make it as safe as possible, but their deaths happen every probably every year i would think oh at least every year it's, i think yeah. it's very common yeah yeah because it's just i mean it this is the epitome of like human limits yeah um it's really incredible so i i definitely well we'll probably include a picture of like the kombu ice yeah fall but i encourage everyone to look up like a youtube video because until when you look at a picture of it you're like, oh, yeah. that doesn't look that bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then when you see what these people are climbing th- over and around and up mm-hmm. and scaling down, it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, there, there was this one where they were climbing up like a straight up and down ladder up a 50-foot cliff of ice oh wow and it's just incredible that's so yeah that's amazing wow so you have um camp one is i'm just going to kind of walk through the different stops Mm -hmm. along the journey so you have the base camp and when i say base camp i was imagining um like little huts everywhere right Maybe a little lodge. Um, yeah, like Coco. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems like that's Maybe what that's it... what I want it to right. be. But it is literal tents. Yeah. Tents that are just set up throughout. And, you know, you, they have like medic tents and things like that. Right. Um, I just think the weather is so terrible. I don't know if they can have a permanent structure or even just getting materials to create. Right. But I'm, I am curious about that. Or it's just they can't put a permanent structure because of how thick the mm. ice and i don't know like yeah maybe it's just like yeah. challenging to even dig all yeah. that and yeah i don't know i have no information on that so i'm curious if anybody knows like tell me yeah um so once you first you have to get to the base camp which we'll cover in another episode um then you have to get across the kombu ice fall which that people many people have died just in the ice fall and this the reason this area has all these broken chunks everywhere is because of avalanches so avalanches i know kind of recently i think in 2014 
um, there were several Sherpa that died in an avalanche that just spurred on suddenly. Yeah. And they were in that Kombu Icefall area. Gosh. So it's a climb that they talk about you try to get through as quickly as you can. Right. But you can only go so fast. Yeah. And, um, and carefully as you can just to get through it. So next you're going to reach camp one, which is just above that section. And that is at, uh, 19, the base camp is at 17,000 feet, 700. And the next is at 19,900 feet. Oh my gosh. That's like, that's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, from camp one, Next stop is Camp 2. That's at 21,300 feet. And then Camp 3. Camp 3 is the last camp before that's going to have kind of some extra supplies, medic, like radio communication, that sort of thing. Um, And then from there, there's Camp 4 that sits directly right at the brink of the human ability to even live. Wow. Oxygen-wise. Here, you're getting a third amount of oxygen that you would at sea level. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's a third? Just one third? A third. Wow. Okay. Anything above that death zone, you're getting less. Wow. And then, so from that fourth camp... You're waiting for your window of opportunity and you're just hauling balls yeah. to the tippy top yeah. and coming back down as fast as you can. Yeah. Because you're, it's like. You're not trying to like stay there or anything. <laughs> this is a terrible comparison, but my boys play Fortnite uh-huh. and they're in the game. There's this storm that shrinks down. As you're playing the game and you have to stay within the eye of the storm. Okay. And any time that you're in the storm, it slowly is taking like your life points away or whatever. Oh my gosh. And so you have to try to get into like the center before you die. Wow. And that's what kept popping into my mind with this is like you have that death zone. And as soon as you go above that, you are, your clock is ticking. You have X amount of time before you will just die. Your body will stop. It's not getting enough oxygen. People get really, really disoriented above that. Well, at any point along this. I mean, people die before this point. And um, there's a lot of people that will get really bad um, pulmonary edema, Mm -hmm. which is, um, my sister was explaining, it's like a liquid in your lungs. And you start like coughing up kind of this froth. Oh my gosh. And it'll kill you. It can kill. It doesn't always, but it can kill you. Wow. And um, so it is all due to a lack of oxygen. So in Nepal and Tibet and these surrounding areas is a uh, ethnic group that is known as the, as Sherpa Mm -hmm. and the Sherpa people are I think they kind of originate from the Tibet area but there's many communities of Sherpa people in the surrounding area and they are their bodies have adapted over many many you know generations upon generations 
at living at high altitudes. Right. And so they're generally like smaller and really built people. Mm-hmm. So their blood circulates a different way oh, and um, more easily yeah. than if you have, you know, when I was talking to my sister, about, the reason I keep bringing my sister up, Sam, shout out, um, and Austin, is that they have been to Nepal oh. and have seen the Himalayan oh, wow. mountains. Cool. And um, so she was sharing some of this information with me. But, you know, you have somebody like my 6'4 brother-in-law, who, that's going to be a lot harder for him up at that altitude mm. than somebody who's smaller and who whose body is prepared to withstand some of that altitude. Right. They're also really strong and steady, you know, in their movements. Um, and so they have often been hired to help guide people up the mountain or to help like carry things up and and whatnot and um the that's the group of people that i had mentioned had passed away i think i want to say 2014 i didn't put that in my notes but i had read about that after the death zone you're gonna hustle your little booty up to the summit at 29,031 feet Hopefully, you don't get pooped on by a goose. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Can oh you imagine gosh. being up there, though, and seeing, like, a flock of geese? Well, that'd be so You'd weird. You'd think you hallucinated right. and just yeah. made it up. Yeah. You'd be like, I'm out of oxygen. I must be out of oxygen. Right. There's no way. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, and I just think it's amazing. The base camp of Mount Everest is taller than our tallest mountain. Yeah. In our state. Isn't like, that weird so to weird. think about? Yeah. That's funny. I know. Um, the first recorded attempts, I'm going to go through kind of a list of, there's many other attempts in between these, but these were ones where they're kind of getting higher and higher and higher okay. that I just wanted to mention. So, and that's not to say that some, a Sherpa might have already summited at this point. Right. There's just no record right. of it. Right. So, um, in 1921, Mallory and Bullock almost made it to the top. They made it to 23,000 feet. In the tw- in 1920, like the, or yeah. 1921, like that's impressive to yeah. me. In 1922, Finch made it to 27,300 feet, which is in the death zone. Yeah. That's beyond the death zone. Yeah. He did it with bottled oxygen. Okay. In 1924, Norton reached 28,050 feet. That is so close. So close. Wow. And that's what I hear um, over and over in the stories of people that have done it are it's the hardest thing because you know this is why people die this is one of the many reasons people die is they don't turn back when they should right because they're so close right and so turning back is the hardest thing but it's what has saved many people is the people that chose to turn back in 1924 mallory tried again and this time he brought irvin with him and they took off and they were never seen again so they might have made it. Yeah. Nobody knows. Um, they found 
Mallory's body in 1999. Yeah, I was going to ask, did yeah. they ever recover his body? Oof. I don't know. I don't think they often recover, mm-hmm. but they will I know, sometimes like, do like a memorial. Yeah, during the pandemic, um, I think there nobody was on the mountain except for like the people who lived there um maybe just like travel or whatever but they did a lot of um like cleanup process on the mountain um because you know there's a lot of deaths that have happened and so they recovered a lot of bodies that was like one of their kind of goals um i can't remember there's like a documentary about it um and then just like simply trash you know the the oxygen canisters people leaving equipment behind all that kind of stuff and like tons and tons of trash off of the mountain probably Um, like literal tons yeah like because then too you think of anybody that can if they can't make it if they are barely making it down they're not packing up all their stuff and taking it with them they're just abandoning it yeah you know yeah, so I know that that was a big cleanup process, but to being able to like recover bodies off of the mountain, like wow, when else would they have? Because usually there's just so many so people to and maybe not it's, so many, but there, like no, there are now though. Yeah, there are now. Yeah, and it's like scary how many people, right? You know, yeah, and it's like like you said, like really narrow, very specific places that you have to walk, so it's not like you can go, yeah, try to retrieve a body or something like yeah. that. But anyway. Yeah. Oof. So for that, would that be like, was it 70 years for his body to be there? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Long time. It is a long time. And that's just the body they found. I mean, they still haven't found the other guy. Right. Unless they did in 2020. That could be. They might have. I'm maybe. not sure. But yeah. So in 1952, Raymond Lambert and Sherpa Tenzing Norgay made it to 28,199 feet. Wow. And this was the, they made, um, they hit like the world record for a human being. Yeah. Recordedly reaching the highest point on earth. In 1953, the following year, Tenzing Norgay and Edmund Hillary, he was a New Zealander, um, on May 29th, through the South Coal route that I just described, all those different camps, um, made it to the top. Wow. To the very peak. Really incredible. Um, oh, a little, this is a random side note. New York City has the largest Sherpa community in the United States. Really? Yeah. That's so interesting. I know. I didn't know that. I know. I'm like, I'm like curious about that. Like what yeah. the appeal is, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I know why I like New York. Right. But I'm just curious about that. Yeah. Um, Queen Elizabeth II knighted. So actually she heard the news that Edmund Hillary, because New Zealand, I think, was, that's a commonwealth, right? I think so. And, well, not Australia isn't now, but. I think back then, like, New Zealand was a commonwealth. Yeah. And um, the day she was getting coronated, she heard that they had made the summit of Mount Everest. Wow. And she ends up knighting Edmund Hillary and John Hunt. He was an Englishman who had organized the expedition. And then she awarded Tenzing, 
Tenzing Norgay the George Medal, which is for like gallantry. There's statues raised in both of their honors, and two peaks in the Himalayas were named after them. Okay. So there's the Tenzing Peak and the Hillary Peak. That's pretty. That's cool. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like you know they actually like went there, did all that, and yeah. Yeah, like you said, like, probably some local people group did that already, but maybe, who knows? Yeah, and that's what, I I mean, maybe not, but I, I feel like that just seems so it would be, highly likely. Right, you know? yeah, it'd be unlikely that that had never happened, Yeah, I feel like. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know. But I feel like, too, a lot of Native people have respect for mountains and don't try to do these crazy things all the yeah. time you know <laughs> well and that's i agree with that i and i think too in um that's one of the things that in the disaster that we're going to discuss and go into detail in the next episode there was several things that many of the sherpa were really offended by mm. and and felt like your these actions from these foreigners right are going to anger the mountain. Right. And then when everything happened that did, um, they really held firm to that belief that yeah. it was caused by the disrespect for the mountain itself. Yeah. And so it's, you know, I, I agree with what you said. I think that's, they do have such a respect for the mountain. And I mean, I have the, you know, that's how I feel about Mount Rainier. I don't, yeah. I personally don't feel like I need to climb it. I just love looking at it. Yeah. I'm in awe yeah. every time I see it. It's a, it's beautiful. Yeah. And there's something really m- magnetic that just draws your attention. Yeah. And your appreciation to it. And with the the waste. So with these expeditions um as people started reaching the summit um We'll learn more a little bit about Rob Hall. Um, Rob Hall is a New Zealander who started, he kind of was one of the first people to coin the market in doing guided, um, I almost said tours, but I'm like, it's not really a tour. Yeah. Um, Guided ascents to the summit and charging a fee for that. And it took many years for this to kind of get ironed out. A lot of um, locals still really disagree with this because, again, you have to earn the respect of the mountain. Yeah. And this has also caused a lot of problems over the years because you, for a while especially, they would get people that really had no business climbing that mountain, but they paid to do it. Yeah. And so um, now, like, I went to a site to see, like, what does it look like when you sign up, you right. know, um, to in one of these expedition groups. And now there's an entire, it's like a resume that you have to fill out right. with all, you have to have done X amount of um, summits at certain heights. You have to have done at least, you know, X amount of summits at above this certain height or elevation and um so that they can really weed people out that have no business yeah climbing this mountain that's smart it is yeah yeah. and so i think some of those things have really been ironed out 
another thing that they've really worked on is you mentioned all the trash Mm -hmm. being found and that's so disappointing to hear I understand some of it you know like some of it's accidental right but then it's also how do you get how (laughs) how do you get that down yeah and so they've been put in place um incentives for every canister brought back right and you know if you bring back x amount of trash then there's financial benefits to that yeah and so i know that that has lessened it but clearly if you said you know (laughs) that thousands of pounds have been brought down still then not not all is happening so yeah um so i went through a supply list of what people would be taking now you're not taking all of this to the summit and back but this is what you would bring you know with you to the different camps yeah and then you know you're going to be leaving some stuff behind obviously um and there's even more stuff a lot of these companies you can rent this is why people pay to do this because you don't just pay a guide but you pay for the whole experience of they will provide your equipment right they have everything they've have it down to a science of every single thing that you're, you're going to need and um whereas if you were trying to do that on your own i mean oh my gosh that'd be like, a huge even cost. an ex- yeah. yeah a huge cost and if you're coming in from you know most likely you're a foreigner right coming in yeah you know yeah that's a good point to Line have in, everything like, how do you have all that stuff with you yeah and yeah that's that's a smart way to do it yeah that's smart so here's a little supply list ice axe 40 feet of cord crampons which are those like claw shoes you know mm-hmm. um a carabiner system a climbing harness uh is do you say belay is that right yeah okay belay device trekking poles high altitude boots camp boots so boots that you're just going to walk around at camp because sometimes they're at camp for several days right insulated camp booties so ones that you you know like thick down kind of like um a slipper that you would wear in your tent light hiking boots a down body suit six varieties of coats varying in thickness and you know weatherproofing wow um four varieties of gloves with the same uh a climbing helmet sunglasses goggles headlamp nose guard two at least two sleeping bags of varying thicknesses a thermos water bottles backpack a knife, toiletries, sunscreen, first aid kit, food, tent, oxygen. And there was like quite a bit of other stuff too, but th- that seemed like the main the main ones. The price, the full body suit that I mentioned. Yeah. The price on that was like $700. Yeah. And each of those coats is 3 or $400. Yep. These gloves are hundred bucks a pop so i was doing like a mental adding and it it's a lot just for the gear right to if you know you're planning on doing this um so rob hall like i mentioned 
was a New Zealander and he had formed in just a few years before um, the tragedy that we're going to discuss, he had formed a adventure. It's called Adventure Consultants. And that was the company where they did several different things. Um, He formed this company with his friend Gary Ball. And at first, I think they were called Ball and Hall, (laughs) which is super fun. But um, then they changed the name to Adventure Consultants. And Adventure Consultants, you could hire these guys to organize your trek up different mountain faces. And a lot of them were all over the world. Hmm. So some people... In the mountaining community, there's a lot of, like, disagreances with what are considered the top climbs. Right, okay. But for many, they want to do all seven. And this, the seven peaks. So the seven peaks consist of the highest mountain on each of the seven continents. Oh, okay. In Africa, Kilimanjaro. You said okay. that one. Antarctic, Antarctica, Vincent. Massive. I got that one too. Yeah. Australia, Puncak Jaya, uh, in <laughs> Europe, Mount Everest. Okay. America Denali, Mount Mauna Kea. Is that what? Okay. The that's the on the Pacific plate in Hawaii, and then the South American plate would be Aconcagua. Okay. That, I mean, I will definitely do the Hawaii one. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> I'll go to the base of it. That's I'd so be funny. happy to do that. That's funny. <laughs> These are huge mountains, though. Dang. I know. That's crazy. So that's so climbing each of those peaks is a lot of like that's the ultimate goal right. for a lot of people. Okay. And so a cut. I know like two of the people on the this particular um, expedition. This was their seventh. So they'd done six, and this was their seventh. Yeah. Because, obviously, I mean, if I were to do it, if I I was into that, I would almost want to do Everest first, because then everything else would be feel feel less scary. But you probably have to, like, prepare yourself, Uh, too, right? right. Duh. (laughs) I didn't think about that. There's three different teams that are going up that are kind of a main part and more of an integral part of this story. Um, We're going to really get into the nitty gritty of it Mm -hmm. on the next episode. And then there's a few independent teams that um, don't really, aren't really involved in this particular part of this story. Rob Hall. And so Rob Hall and Gary Ball who had started adventure consultants, Rob, like they would, they themselves would lead, would guide. So they weren't only forming the teams and running the program or sorry, the company, they also were guides themselves. And sometimes these people would, um, with these companies, someone would organize it, but they're not themselves guiding people up. In this case, Rob Hall in particular, unfortunately, Gary Ball died in 1993, just a couple years after they um, formed Adventure Consultants. And he, it's very sad, but they he died climbing. Mm. 
And he was with Rob Hall, and he died in Rob Hall's arms. Oh, my gosh. And he, he couldn't bring him down, and he buried him on the mountainside. Oh, that's sad. That's and he, rough. It's really sad. It's, I, oh. Knowing, I mean, you know the risks every time, but it doesn't change the pain, you yeah. know? So Rob is now running Adventure Consultants on his own, and he quickly becomes known to be for with mount everest in particular if you are gonna summit he's the one you want okay he had already at this point successfully brought 39 people to the summit wow each expedition usually consisted of between five to eight guests they call them that their clients sorry that they're bringing up and then on top of those five to eight clients you have several guides yeah because you know you know you need to split your guides up among the people right and then you have many other people that are helping along the way that are cooking meals they're staying at at some of the base they're staying at some of the camps along the way um in this case for this expedition for the 1996 expedition the cost to join this expedition as a client was $62,000. In the 90s? Yeah. Holy moly. That is insane. It's crazy. Now, that's per person. Wow. And with that, the money would get split up. The guides would each get $10,000 of that. And... Each Sherpa would get a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars, and some of these Sherpas are summiting with them to the top. Not fair. No, that don't make no sense. It is not <laughs> ten grand to a thousand dollars. Yeah, make that make sense because you could say you know maybe you could justify well I planned and I sourced all this materials and all that to justify a higher pay. Right, but I know other than that. That you're doing the same thing? Okay, for yeah. sure. The hard part, mind you. I know. Oh, yeah. For sure. I know. Sam has a lot to say on that. And her big thing... So she, when they um, went to Nepal, they wanted to hire a Sherpa to take them on, you know, like a shorter expedition. They wow. Don't, they were not summiting. Yeah. Um, and they had been in communication with him and they were really wanting to pay him directly okay because they knew how these things worked yeah and in nepal they very much have a caste system that is still in place to this day right and the sherpa are at the bottom their guide adamantly refused accepting their money directly really because i she feels like he that he felt like it could be dishonoring to his employer okay so she said instead we just tipped him heavily yeah (laughs) like there you go that's the way to go um so on this expedition the guides going in 1996 with adventure consultants are rob hall the owner of the company michael groom and andy harris are the three guides the clients are frank fishbeck he was 53 doug hansen 46 Stuart Hutchinson, 34, Lou Kasishke, 
53, John Krakauer, 42. John is a journalist and he was um, hired by Outsider Magazine Mm. to go on this expedition so that he could write about the experience. Wow. And then um, Yasuko Namba, 47. John Tasky, 56. And Beck Weathers, 49. Okay. The Sherpas with this um, expedition are Sardar Angdorji, Arita Choldum, Kami, Lakpa Chiri, Guawang Norbu, and Tenzing, Loop and Lopsing. So eight Sherpas and eight clients, and then three guides. Okay. So the two other um, companies that went on this expedition at the same time as adventure consultants were Mountain Madness, and that had three guides several other clients and many other Sherpas as well. I'm not going to mention all of them just because there's a lot of people. So the other main um, expedition that joined the adventure consultants was a group under the name Mountain Madness. And that was led by Scott Fisher. And one of his, I won't list everybody, but one of his guides was a man, a Russian man named Anatoly Bukriv, and he was 38. And I'll just mes- mention those two because they do play a more major part in the events that would um, come to happen. So it's now known as the 1996 Mount Everest disaster. Mm. And we will get into the nitty gritty of that in the next episode. All right. I'm excited. I know. I've never heard this story before. Really? Uh-huh. Oh. I'm excited. You're in for a wild ride. <laughs> but yeah, so that's a lot of information leading up to what we're going to talk about next about Mount Everest. It's Nepal looks to be a stunning place and I really hope to make it there someday. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited. So, all right. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.